morning, everyone. We meet again. Do I know everybody out there? Making me feel like a stranger. What's going on? You know, when Todd asks me to do this, um, I usually say yes because, um, you know, I'm doing it in front of family. Um, you know, I, I usually feel a warmth, which I'm certainly not feeling this morning. Um, but here we go. Um, I don't know about you, but I had a very a particularly tough week, and it's always wonderful to come to church and and put a punctuation in the long, continuous sentence that our lives usually um, is. Um, and so, while I wasn't feeling particularly motivated last night at three o'clock in the morning, um, I am glad to be here. There's something about Advent hope and the Sabbath that brings a peace um, to the storm that we're feeling. And what a beautiful prayer Elijah prayed. God bless you. Stay focused. He's got plans for you, my brother. Most questions in life are wrapped neatly or uncomfortably with what, where, how, or why. Each is of equal importance as they beg answers that inform, give context, and require at times no more than a single word answer or response, with why being the exception. Much like the process we endure when faced with the opportunity to confess, we are historically much more comfortable with these questions because they do not expect any bearing of your inner personal thoughts, soul or heart. I do not speak of why used interjectionally, but why the interrogatory. I submit to you that unlike what, how or when, why solicits and demands much more, requiring a response that originates far below the surface. One needs to dig a little deeper when answering the question why. In fact, the answer to why requires a comprehension of familiarity with the what, the when, or how. You see, why has the ability to expose us like no other question. Why keeps us honest. Now I know that some of you are mumbling under your breath, oh my goodness, I came to church to hear a sermon and now I find myself in class with some fool with a pseudo foreign accent teaching me first grade grammar. <coughs> To you I say, be still. Pump the brakes. Tranquila, por favor. <laughs> but maybe you're right. Perhaps this isn't for you. Allow me to explain that this is the first time that we have spoken in this fashion. This is not a sermon, at least not in my mind. I'm no scuba diver when it comes to things of a spiritual matter. I fancy myself more of a snorkeler. I'll leave the scuba diving up to Todd, Nick, and Kyle. So consider this an appetizer, if you will. To be frank, I'd much rather have an open mic rap session than be subjected to those of you who sleep or entertain yourselves on the phone, making no attempts to, at a minimum, pretend that you're interested. So be patient with your appetite for spiritual steak and mash with heavy cream. 
Every entree postdates an appetizer, so enjoy today's light salad or soup. Next week you shall eat like a Roman. But before you rise to leave, I have a question for you. Why are you here? In church on a Saturday, of all days when the world is so busy and appearing to have so much fun, do you know that as long as I've been a Seventh-day Adventist, I have never enjoyed the secularity of a Saturday. Even on Saturdays when I have not attended the physical building we refer to as church, I perhaps, like you, have chosen or educated myself to find enjoyment in sacred things. Now, you should know that this enjoyment is enhanced by people I know and like. As you know, there are after all, some very annoying and unlikable Christians. Isn't it wonderful that nowhere in the Bible does it direct us to court the company of every and all Christians? Yes, we have to love them all sincerely, but love is capable of being exercised from a distance. But I digress. <coughs> it is important to me for you to know, as I have qualified on previous occasions, that Every time that I have been asked to speak to you in this forum, my words originate from a very personal place. As I like to think of it, a permutation of a biographical confession rather than a sermon, if you will, because I make the assumption that some of you, even the most righteous and perfect among us, grapple with the why of being a Christian. There is a reason why the act of confession is such an uncomfortable experience. It generally doesn't come naturally or easy. In fact, sometimes it requires considerable preparation with hours of editing and rehearsal to the extent that when pronounced, it is made to sound more like an explanation or palatable excuse rather than what it actually is. Other times it is uttered insincerely to pacify the offended, or abruptly as if out of obligation. We've all been there and some of us remain there, struggling with each instance when faced with the opportunity, yes, that word again, opportunity to say sorry. In some instances, it requires us to own up to matters that dilute who we wish to be perceived as, allowing the air witness a glimpse into an area of our souls that we deem too vulnerable and fragile, that intimate aspect of our heart that we would prefer to keep secret, lest we be perceived as weakened. Today I'm proposing a simple concept which I would like to explain with a hypothetical, I hope. You've been attending Advent Hope for a few weeks, more than three times, and so you can no longer hide behind or abuse the title of visitor. You enjoy the energy of the church, the youth and beauty of the congregation, the fact that Pastor Todd looks like a lumberjack without <laughs> doing any of the woodwork. He's a scuba diver, meaning he digs and swims deep for the themes. He's cool and personable. Nick, the director of music, sings like Lucifer before the fall. <laughs> and preaches with the cool of Anthony Bourdain, were he to believe in God. And Kyle, the associate pastor, well, how can you, how can anyone not respect a talented young man who forsakes the world 
for a savior named Jesus. Did I mention that you are single for the purposes of this exercise? It's week four and you are still sitting in almost the same spot that you have for all four visits. Service ends and during potluck, you finally achieve a seat at the table of the young lady who caught your eye, but not your attention on your very first visit. You can switch the genders if it suits you better. <laughs> you manage to become part of the conversation which allows you an introduction without the formality. You like that. Make an inroads without the sweat. Someone, not her, includes you in their plans to go bowling after sunset. You are stoked with glee. You meet the group of friends at the bowling alley and soon realize that amidst all the laughter and frolic, you are not the only one vying for her attention. You win each set despite the laughable gutter balls, not because you are that good a bowler, but because everyone else is either not taking it as seriously as you or bowling as if they just left the ER. As you all prepare to leave, you find yourself sitting next to her Biff and Waldo, the other two predators, are each jousting to be funnier than the other. So you waste no time and awkwardly ask her if she would like to meet you after work for a green smoothie one day after work next week. She turns to you and in the most Christian of manners responds, why? Why? You react. Yes, why? She repeats, looking directly into your eyes and smiling. Well, I don't know. I just, you don't know why you want to take me out, but you want me to say yes? She interrupts, still smiling. Just then Waldo walks over and screams, who wants to go to the movies after work on Wednesday? Everyone accepts Aphrodite. Oh, I did tell you, yes, her name is Aphrodite. <laughs> who's still looking at you, waiting, smiling, now annoyingly. Your pause is too lengthy. Waldo grabs her by the hand playfully and pulls her to her feet and walks out with the group. You follow, unsure if you should, but in an effort to avoid looking even stupider, Biff hails two cabs and everyone piles in. You dance between both cabs, hoping to fit into one of them, with plans to recover from your misstep, but there isn't room in either. They drive off. Waldo has his arm around Afro, who strains to turn and wave with that pretty, silly smile on her face. It begins to rain. You have no umbrella. You walk five blocks to the nearest train station and slither home on the iron snake, soaked, defeated. That why question demanded that you think. A quick one word answer wouldn't work. It needed you to be honest, prepared, and frankly, you were not. You had no petrol in the tank, no oil in your lamp. For those of us who are not single and maybe feeling a little left out, I ask you, if your spouse or significant other were to ask you right now, yes, right this minute, why do you love me? Could you answer? 
Could you answer sincerely, truthfully? Would you be prepared to answer and could you explain convincingly, persuasively? Well, God asks us today a similar question. Why are you here today? In church, of all days on a Saturday, when the world is busy with commerce and fun, have you considered why you are here in church week after week? And if you are here week after week, what are you doing that would allow you to answer the question why? Are you the well-dressed bench warmer who chooses to be in entertained, then greets, then eats the potluck food that is the ministry of others who choose to make their church experience an answer to their why? The beauty of the passage that Sylvia read so beautifully lies in the description of the boldness and confidence with which Peter and John embraced and exercised their role in advancing the progress of the Jerusalem church. Their church experience had definition and purpose. Despite their lack of education and their ordinariness, their response defied the hostile priestly and lay aristocracy who could not accept why these men of common and unlearned status were emboldened to instruct the people in spiritual affairs, a responsibility sacredly reserved for the priests. Their contempt for these ignorant men is emphasized in the question found in verse 7. By what power or what name did you do this? It is unquestionable that John and Peter knew their purpose as they quickly answer, filled with the Holy Spirit, unflinching, and I paraphrase, why am I able to do this? No, it is not I, but the crucified Jesus of Nazareth. They acknowledge that their ordinary was made extraordinary through Jesus. Who we are and what we do, how much we earn or the title we hold is no excuse for not being involved in church. An inactive church member is the equivalent of this empty building at 3 a.m., dark and empty. Why are we here? Because we are the church. And each week, we bring the worship and the praise here. When the final song is sung, our eyes open from the benediction and goodbyes and well wishes are shared. We take the church with us wherever we go, to our homes, work, schools, and play. As we are on Sabbath, so are we expected to be on Thursday night at 10.33 p.m. For we are the bride. forever ambassadors of the kingdom, acknowledging the call to proclaim the gospel to the world without bias or prejudice. As the groom loves us without boundaries and conditions, so must our Christianity be defined. Indiscriminate, without preference to race, creed, gender, sexuality, education, or <coughs> financial status. God made each of us equal and died for all of us equally. We all have sinned and are undeserving of a reward that will transcend time into eternity. But guess what? There is very, very good news. 
Our equality in Jesus makes us all eligible for salvation and life eternal, without walls. How wonderful an example of selfless ministry is Peter. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he characterizes the miraculous healing of this man of more than 40 years simply as an act of kindness, a good thing. What a marvelous lesson. Acts of kindness are miracles because they take the beneficiary from one place to a better place. That Advent hope is ministry. That Advent hope is church. That Advent hope is you and me. And verse 12 states, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So why are we here? So what can worship, so that we can worship with others and be inspired to perform acts of kindness, which are miracles through Jesus, whom salvation alone can be achieved. Change for eternity. If there is anything that this account teaches us, it is that we have to be more than observers and witnesses to the church experience. We have to do more than want to sing or be sung to, to be more interested in fellowship than we are in, in, to be more interested in worship than we are in fellowship, to be instructed more, to be instructed because of a sense of contrition that comes with acknowledging our wrongs and embracing the liberating powers of confession and repentance. More than sharing the experience, we have to be part of the experience, and better yet, be the experience. Encouraging, negotiating, accommodating, and facilitating change for good, change for all, change for eternity. I am amazed by how willing God is to work with me. I often feel oftentimes feel his disappointment but I have never experienced his impatience or frustration, let alone his anger. The challenge for us this week, Advent Hope, is to have the why inform all we do, where we are, whomever we're with. Be sure to ask why. And if your answer isn't informed and does not encapsulate Jesus, then perhaps you should be where you are whom you're with, or doing what you are. What do you, why do you want to take me out? She asks. Because I've enjoyed your company tonight and I would like to know who you are. Why are you here today? God asks. Because I am your bride, Lord, and I want to know who you are. 